Hey, uh, let's get started. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Happy, uh, where we're looking at the Beatitudes, which is a fancy word for things that are happy uh, in the Bible. It's part of, uh, in, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Matthew records what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It was this sermon that Jesus gave to the crowds. And there's a lot of teaching. We could spend uh, so many weeks working our way through that whole sermon. But what we are doing is we're spending six weeks looking at one small part of it in chapter five, uh, the Beatitudes. And we're talking about being happy. And uh, as I was thinking about uh, jumping into this, because last week uh, Jamie kicked us off. But when I was thinking about it this week uh, and asking myself the question, what makes me happy? I thought of a few, a few things that uh, make me happy. Uh, reading makes me happy. When I'm reading for fun, uh, when I get to choose a book, this fall I started going back to school again. I'm like taking some classes because I'm a sucker for punishment. And when other people get to choose what books I read, I resent it a lot. Does anybody else feel that way? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, only a few hands. Okay. Uh, the second thing I really, uh, that really just makes me happy is Star Trek stuff. No, it's not Trevor. I'm sorry, Trevor. You did not make the list. <laughs> Although telling you that made me kind of happy. What does that say about me? Uh, Star Trek makes me happy. Some of you know, if you guys come to the nacho night in a couple weeks at my house, uh, I may give you a tour of my Star Trek room. Uh, but yeah, it's a little excessive. The other night, a few nights ago, yeah, Probably my Star Trek stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, it's a little excessive. You're going to be like, you're going to show up before my house. You're going to be like, ah, McNutt's kind of funny with the Star Trek stuff. And then you're going to come and you're going to be like, oh, he's got a real problem. Like, he needs some help. The, um, the other night, everybody was away from the house except for just me. I was all by myself. And so I rewatched. No, it was fantastic. No Oz. Like, I rarely get time completely to myself where I get to use the big TV to watch Star Trek. So I did. Like, it was a beautiful evening. Uh, third thing that makes me happy, of course, my wife, Heather. She's wonderful. And the fourth thing... <laughs> the fourth thing is, like, three of my sons. Um, I don't want to name one of them in particular who is currently here. But he kind of gets on my, no, just kidding, Noah. The, um, what kind of things make you guys happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I make you happy. <laughs> they, yeah, that wasn't good, man. They, they started, they went into the half doing so well. And my mom is a big Seahawks fan. She was, she was devastated. The, uh. I know she was doing all these like happy Facebook posts and then she got real quiet. And so I was like, oh, they must have won the game. And then I looked it up and they did not win the game. Uh, it's so weird. Like this week, there's, you know, no Eagles game. They get to get all rested and healed for next week. Uh, Jalen Hurts makes me happy a lot. The, uh, hey, all right. So, um. Let's bring it back in. We're going to talk about the Bible now. <laughs> uh, 
like I said, uh, Jesus does this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and towards the beginning of it is this section called the Beatitudes, and I want to read it to you in Matthew 3, verses 10. And we're only going to look at one small part of it today in particular, but I'm going to read you the whole uh, section called the Beatitudes. And it starts off like this. Those people who know they have great spiritual needs are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Those who are sad now uh, will be happy because God will comfort them. Those who are humble are happy because the earth will belong to them. That's the, that last sentence is the one we're going to zero in on this week. Those who want to do right more than anything else are happy because God will fully satisfy them. Those who show mercy to others are happy because God will show mercy to them. Those who are pure in their thinking are happy because they will be with God. Those who work to bring peace are happy because God will call them his children. Those who are treated badly for doing good are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Uh, the, the phrase I said that we want to look at in particular this week are the those who are humble are happy. And many of you, if you're looking up in your Bible, are saying, you know, a lot of translations translate this, blessed are the, you know, who are this or that. Blessed are, blessed are. And so many of your Bibles will even translate that part about being humble as blessed are the meek. And uh, when I think about the word meek, like sometimes... It doesn't bring great images to mind, right? Like our culture tends to look at meek as like uh, a sign of weakness, like the meek are weak. And that's not really where Scripture is going uh, with this word, right? That, that the meek has kind of changed in its perception with us over the centuries. And so humble is a much better word to describe what God is going after here with uh, being humble brings happiness. And if we were to take a moment to reflect on people in our lives that we know of who are humble, I think when we actually stop and think about it, we go, wow, you know, this person is humble and we can see joy in their life, right? There's a certain amount of contentment. There's a certain amount of satisfaction that, uh, you know, one of the first people that pops into my mind, he's not in the room right now, it would really embarrass him if, I, uh, if he knew I was talking about him, is Ed Jones, right? Yeah, There's a whole bunch of people are like, oh my gosh. Ed Jones is just incredible. He's like this incredibly humble guy and yet full of so much wisdom and generosity and love, and, and you look at a guy like Ed, and you think of humbleness, and you go, yeah, like that's a really powerful, beautiful thing. And, and it's awesome to hear Ed talk, you know, even like uh, the other night, he's helping out with the middle school guys, small group, and some of you older guys groups have remembered when I've come into your groups and yelled at you for being disrespectful to your leaders, and uh, they had been kind of rude while Ed was teaching. And so I came in and chewed out the group. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, why would you do this, Ed? He's been serving for 29 years. He drives 40 minutes each way to come and be. And Ed's like, I don't, you know, I love doing that. I don't care. That's not a, and I'm like, Ed. <laughs> like, I'm trying to rebuke these little punks right now. The, uh, but he's so humble. And he's so generous and so loving. And he's, there's a, a joy in him that I look at it and go, man, I wish I was more like Ed. 
Which is funny, because if I were to throw like pictures of people up on the screen and we were going to be like, are they humble or are they arrogant? Like if we put Ed up there, everybody would be like, humble. But if we put Elon Musk up there, what would people, arrogant. Yeah, there it is. One person trying to, right? Uh, if we threw Trevor up on the screen, no, don't, don't, don't. Right? The, here's where I'm going at. As we, as we reflect on people in our life, who are humble, we should also be reflecting on, am I humble? Like, in what ways am I humble or in what ways am I arrogant that, that I'm not portraying this? Well, the key here that we're talking about is humility. And in a lot of ways, uh, meekness or humility is strength under control, right? That, that being humble doesn't mean you're weak, where you don't know the answers, where you couldn't do the stuff, right? It means just having it under control. You don't have to prove yourself all the time. You don't have to be the one recognized as knowing the answers or being the strongest or being the most powerful or being right, right? And so God is looking at us and he's asking us to be humble. He's asking us to be meek. He's asking us to be strong, but to keep that under control control in a humble way. In Romans 12, 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but readily adjust yourself to people and to things. Give yourself to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceit. I love that phrase, never overestimate yourself. And part of it is like, we get it, right? Like we get that if we see someone who is overestimating themselves or they're arrogant or they're a know-it-all or they just never have control of themselves, we get that that's frustrating when we see it in other people, right? Nobody's going like, I want to hang out with that guy. Uh, no, because you know that mess is going to spill out and impact you as well. And so if we can recognize that, hey, that's really not a virtue in someone else, and we can also recognize, man, it's, it's probably pretty important for me to not overestimate myself. It's probably pretty important for me to pursue humility and humbleness. Uh, there's an event that's recorded a few chapters after this sermon in Matthew that's a great example of humility. Uh, there's this soldier who comes to Jesus, and I want to read it to you. In Matthew chapter 8, you can just follow, uh, just listen to me. I'm not going to put this one on the screen. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with it. Now, here's what's fascinating, right? Like, this is an officer. So it's not even just a regular soldier. This is someone who commands people. He's got a lot of strength under his power. He could use his authority over Jesus in a lot of ways. Uh, and yet, and, and a lot of these officers were not known for being like showing humility or showing weakness, right? That's how he got to the position he's in. But this Roman officer came and pleaded with him saying, Lord, my servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Which is already fascinating because he's concerned about his servant. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer, this Roman soldier said to Jesus, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you even come into my house. See the humility there? He says, just say the word from where you are 
and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go. And if I say come, then they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they'll do it. So to be clear, we're not saying having slaves is okay, right? This is called 2,000 years ago, like a third of the population were slaves. There's a lot of negative things going on there. So uh, he says, uh, so I understand how this works. Jesus, just say it and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following, which is kind of fascinating, right? Because Jesus is turning to his followers, all the, the good uh, Jewish people that had been anticipating the Messiah their whole lives and should have understood that he was God and understand his power and that like as God, he really doesn't need to be there touching the person to heal them. He can just say it from wherever he is and accomplish it, right? And we recognize, we know that now, but, but Jesus is amazed because this Roman guy who hadn't grown up his whole life hearing all this was recognizing more of the truth of who Jesus was than even his own followers were at that point. So he says, turning to those who were following, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And then a few verses later, it says, then Jesus replied to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you believed it, it has happened. And the young servant was healed at that same hour. See, what's incredible here is like this Roman soldier, this officer who has faced battles, who has done a lot of things, who has a lot of status and power, really humbled himself going to this Jewish rabbi asking for help on behalf of his servant. And even more so, he humbled himself to the point of going like, hey, you don't even need to come to my house. Like, I am not important enough for you to make this trip. I know you have the power to just say it and it'll be done. Right? He humbled himself on so many levels. And it's kind of like one person I saw wrote, humility plus God equals something life-changing. Right? And this person was making the point that that's almost like this equation that equals such powerful things can be true for us as well. That if we're humble with faith, God is going to be able to do incredible things things. He can do life-changing things. And I think there's three things that we can learn today from this story and from the Beatitudes about how we can pursue humility. It's not all of the things, right? We're just going to hit three of them today. There's probably other ways. Maybe you could come up with some great lists. Uh, But the first thing is this. The first step in becoming humble is realizing that I make mistakes and I'm broken right? Uh, Even the centurion recognized with all of his power, there was things he couldn't do, right? He was imperfect. He had weaknesses. He couldn't do it all. And, And I think, like, one of the things I love about Scripture is, uh, and part of why I believe it really is from God, is because most people, if they were making something up, would make themselves look awesome, right? The disciples, they write the Gospels. If, if they were making it up, they would be like, nobody else knew, but we saw it all along. Instead, they're like, yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know. Why are they making themselves look foolish? Right? Because they're telling the truth. There's a part where the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, uh, all the things I want to do, I don't do. 
And the things I don't want to do, I do. And I'm like, well, that's part of the Bible I do a lot, right? That there's so many ways that I'm imperfect, that I make mistakes, that, that each one of us, none of us have arrived yet. And, and the reality, like, have you ever, was there ever a time where you were having an argument with someone and like you just knew with everything in you, you were right and you were arguing and arguing and then somewhere partway through the argument, you realize, oh, wait, I think they might be right. Like that used to happen with my brothers sometimes. And, and I gotta, I, I'll admit, I was the oldest brother and uh, I would have an argument with a younger brother and I'd realize partway through they were right and I was wrong. And so do you know what I did? I would say, I am so sorry. Uh, you are right, my younger. No, I did not. I would double down on how wrong I was. And I was like, I would rather die than let my brother know that he was right in this argument, right? And, and we're laughing because we've all had moments like that, especially if we have siblings. The, uh, here's where I'm getting at, right? Part of me learning to be humble is recognizing I'm not always right. Like, I just don't know it all. I make mistakes. And if I'm humble, if I'm, if I'm becoming like Christ, I'm going to be willing to admit that. And here's the thing, right? Like, our pride never wants to admit that. But don't we kind of respect people that do? When somebody makes a mistake and they're like, oh man, I screwed up. I, I'm going to own that. We respect that. We appreciate it. It actually kind of makes us trust them more, right? That if, if you have a classmate or a coworker or a friend and they just never admit when they're wrong, like that just really gets irritating after a while. You feel like, oh, I can't trust that person. But if they're willing to admit it, it kind of makes us trust them more because we know, hey, if, they're, if they realize something, they're going to tell us. So, so part of humility is being honest about that. Recognize, hey, not only do all of you make mistakes, I make mistakes, and I need to be able to admit it sometimes. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God to receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it. I love that verse because it's just emphasizing, hey, even though we're imperfect, we can keep going to God with confidence that he's going to forgive us. That we can be humble because God is going to forgive us no matter what. That he loves us no matter what. The second step to uh, being humble is admitting that I can't fix everything on my own. Uh, you know, that first temptation is to ignore things and pretend we're perfect. The second temptation is to pretend we can't just do it on our own, right? That, that uh, I love that the centurion had all this power and authority, but he admitted he couldn't do it. He made the trip to Jesus. He asked Jesus for help. He humbled himself, right? And so part of being humble is me being willing to acknowledge to other people when I can't do something. It's also, more importantly, is acknowledging to God, hey, God, I can't do this, or God, I'm hurting too much, or God, I've screwed up too bad, or, you know, whatever it is, being humble enough to admit to God, hey, I can't make this right. I, I remember there was a huge turning point in my own 
faith. In my early, you know, some of you have heard my story before that when I was 17, I kind of was like, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. I was mad at God. I walked away from God. And somewhere around 21, 22, I came back to God. But in the months before I came back to God, there was this period of time where I was like, ah, I really do. I want to follow God again. But I kept telling myself, but before I start going to God, I need to clean up my life. It was almost like I was saying, like, I got to make myself good enough for God before I start talking to God, right? Because I had like some sinful things in my life and in my heart and some attitudes. I was like, I got to get that stuff under control and then I can start being a Christian again. And I spent months like that, just feeling guilty all the time and overwhelmed all the time and miserable because I knew what I wanted to be, but I wasn't there. And like there was one day where all of a sudden I had this realization of like, I really am never going to be able to fix this on my own. This is why I need God, right? There's no way I can stop these things or make myself good enough for God without God. And so being humble to recognize, hey, I can't fix myself. So I might owe you an apology. Being humble enough to recognize I can't fix myself, so I'm going to apologize to God and ask God to help me. Finally, uh, that goes directly into the third key thing of being humble. Believe that I can find healing in Jesus. Which really ties to the other two, right? That being humble enough uh, to not just go to others and admit to others, but to admit to God, hey, I need you. And I want the healing that you can provide. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life is begun. See, this is such a powerful image, right? That when we apologize to God, when we humble ourselves to God, he transforms us into something new. How do we become humble? Like we go to God and let him transform us. If we go back to the story of the centurion, the centurion has faith that Jesus can heal, and what happens? The centurion becomes a new person because Jesus does it, right? He goes back home, and he sees this, and you know he was telling people about it, right? It probably impacted his whole family. It impacted people around him, his life. The servant was made brand new because of this experience with Jesus, And the same can be true for us. Like no matter how broken we are, how arrogant we are, how many mistakes we've made, no matter what it is, we can go to Christ and he will make us a new creature. Right? And that's how, that's just one piece of how we experience the happiness that the Beatitudes talk about, right? That we're going to over the six weeks talk about each of these different areas that we can work on that will bring us happiness, true happiness. Not just the happiness that the cool thing came out that you were excited about that kind of goes away after a few moments, but a deep, satisfying joy that lasts even when we have difficult times or hard times, we can still have some joy in us. Get what I'm saying? All right. That wasn't very enthusiastic, but I'll take it. (laughs) Whoa. All right. Let me pray. And uh, just challenge you this week to reflect on the idea of humility. Where can I be more humble in my life this week? Where is God telling me, hey, you're not really showing humility there. You're showing more something like arrogance or pride, whether it's with friends or teachers or family. And then asking God, God, help me 
to have the humility that you call me to here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this passage in Matthew, these beatitudes, these uh, wisdoms on how we can have happiness in you, God. And I ask that you'd help each of us this week to pursue humility, to identify areas in our own lives where we need to grow in humility. And God, we ask for the courage to bring that to you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to follow through on that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.